Chapter 17, starting at verse 22. And Paul is in Athens. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Nikki. It is a bit of a game changer, isn't it, when you look at the screen and all it says is, please clean the filter. Have you ever wanted to be a game changer like Paul? To really make a difference to people's lives? To change things around? Because that's what we're thinking about this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I do ask that you would uh, be amongst us this morning. That you would be in our midst. Touching our hearts and minds that we may know you more clearly and follow you more closely day by day. Amen. Well, we are indeed looking at game changers. Uh, The passage is uh, Acts 17 that Nikki uh, read to us so well. Uh, And we find all sorts of ways nowadays, don't we, to communicate. We all have different types of language. Uh, And actually, the spoken word is probably reducing in importance 
Um, emails seem to be the bane of everyone's life, um, particularly the spam. Um, uh, or, or indeed images. Uh, our older son is at, at home at the moment, and he talks to people through images of film, mainly, film clips. And he's got a film clip for virtually every uh, situation. Uh, and I didn't know whether you had an image of God. And if you were to draw God, what would you, what would you draw? What would he look like? Or if you've read The Shack, perhaps I should say, what would she look like? There's a bit of a plot spoiler, sorry. Uh, maybe it's the picture you hung on the, the bedroom wall, the man with the lamp. Uh, but where does that image come from? Why do we draw Jesus in a white flowing robe uh, with long hair, beard and sandals? Our culture, of course, seems to believe that we've moved on from God and we don't need him anymore. We understand the world well enough, all by ourselves, we don't need an image. Thanks for the offer, but we're sorted. How is it possible, therefore, to speak to people and to tell them that we know a God, a God that we've experienced, but about whom we have no image? We have no proof, we have no download clip that we can suddenly produce. Paul is a game changer. And what the Athenians know, he turns completely on its head to reveal to them the real truth. Now, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to talk principles this morning. Uh, and, and I'll let you in your home groups look at the sort of nitty-gritty detail uh, from the Game Changers book. But I want to give you some background. And the, the idea came to me um, actually last week, which we'll hear a bit more about right at the end, um, from the New Wine uh, Conference Day for Men. But I just want to use three phrases which you can turn around like a Game Changer. Anyway, Paul is in Athens. This is the heart of the Greek world, the heart of philosophy, the heart of intellectual learning. He's arrived uh, in Athens ahead of Silas and Timothy, who he's been working with elsewhere, and they had a bit of a run-in, so he goes off to Athens, and he's waiting for them to arrive. He's a bit like a tourist, so he's going to walk around the city to see what's there, to see what makes them uh, tick, and what he found was a city totally confused, but entirely seeking God. It was like, uh, almost like a restaurant that didn't know quite what food to cook. So it puts everything on the menu, a bit of Chinese, a bit of Indian, a bit of Thai, uh, a bit of you know, roast beef, a bit of burger for the Americans, just everything. I mean, what is it? What is its identity? And Athens really had no identity because everything had its place. Everything was just as important as the next. Athens wanted to find God, but it didn't know how to. They were so concerned that they might miss out on a piece of truth that they erected a statue to every God that they possibly knew about. And then they erected a statue to the unknown God, just in case they'd missed him out. Bit of a safety blanket, that one. A 
bit of a catch-all. They were religious about God. And we use that word religious, don't we? You could say, uh, I've got a friend who's a stamp collector. He's religious about it. In other words, he's totally committed. He's totally devoted. He's totally uh, directed towards this stamp collection. And, And these people were religious about God. But they had completely missed the God of religion. Into this cauldron then comes Paul, the game changer. And he looks at what the city is saying to him and he sees it through the perspective of the God that he knows. And there he is, Paul, standing in front of their council called the Areopagus, uh, being challenged by the various groups. I won't uh, bore you with those details. uh, And telling them about Jesus. So how could he reach these people who was so intent on learning more, but finding nothing. And he wanted to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he thinks of the language that they're speaking, and he tries to find the common language. He uses the ideas from their own tradition. He tells them that God is the creator of the world the creator of humankind. He's intervened in history to build a relationship. He can't be made by man because man is made by God. Again, they've got it the wrong way around. And just in the same way that they try to make God, I think sometimes we try to make God in our own image, which we can't. It limits the concept of God. If you think about it for a moment... If we try and use our mind to make an image of God, all we're doing is reducing God to our level. So we're reducing his power, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his glory, his power, just everything about him to our own understanding. God isn't made by man. Man is made by God. So what Paul does is incredibly simple but radical. And this is where every one of us can be a game changer too. He uses a theme that they can all understand and relate to and he tackles them head on. They have this religion of God. They are religious about God but they've missed the God of religion. The process had become more important than the end goal. And they tried to make God fit into their own image and their own understanding. God is not about religion. He is about relationship. And they're very different. God is not about religion. He's about faith and belief. And they're very different. See, even in our relationships, we do not engage with each other on a purely intellectual level. That might be interesting for the first half an hour, but after that it would get rather dull, wouldn't it? Don't we want to find out a little bit behind the scenes, behind the intellect? You want to know what makes people tick, what makes them laugh? You want to share times with them? You just want to be with them sometimes without saying anything, and just enjoy each other's presence. That is relationship. 
And I wonder what we are religious about. It may be uh, an object of desire. I don't know whatever that object is. I sometimes have to stop and challenge myself that I think my religion is my work. Uh, And I do find that at home because it impacts upon my relationship because the more time, the more busy I am at work, the more time I have to spend at work, the more I think about work, the more introverted I get, the more I withdraw, the quieter I become and the less engaged with the people around me I become. And it's become my religion. And that is wrong. And I have to challenge myself frequently about that. I am making whatever that is, my work, the centre of my life. And Paul says that it's God, verse 28, it is God in whom we live and move and have our being. It's he that should be the centre of what we do, the focus of our attention and the motivation for what and how we behave. So that's the first thing, God of our religion, not religious about God. But they were also hoping for reality. They were looking at all these different gods, trying to find something which absolutely hit the button. But Paul turns it round again and explains how God is the reality for their hope. They tried every which way to define their image. And Paul says, no, no, come on. Let's just look at Jesus here. Jesus, the creator. Jesus, the sustainer. Jesus, the redeemer. Jesus, the saviour. Jesus, who died and yet who rose again. God himself. He was their hope. Jesus was their hope because Jesus was real. The disciples and Paul had had seen Jesus. They knew him. They knew he was real. As was his death and resurrection, which they had also witnessed. He was their real hope for tomorrow. This was not just an intellectual interest. This was not just one interest out of many. But this was the hope in which they could rely. So we started by considering our Uh, image of God and what that would look like because of course that's what the Athenians were doing they were making God out of their own uh, imagination and Paul quotes even their own prophet uh, their own poets he starts with their tradition he starts with their statues and now he's introducing their poets as well he says we are his offspring, that's a quote from the poets. The challenge is being set down. We're the offspring of God. We're made in the image of God. Don't keep making up your own images. Consider your own image. Where is God in you? Do we live like it? And so let me go back to the uh, New Wine Conference uh, last week. Uh, Eleven of us went from here. It was a great time. We, we had some fun, uh, despite the rain. Um, and the first speaker we had was a, a minister from Ireland called Phil Emerson. He said, I just want to take you through a bit of, I've been asked to take you through a bit of my uh, life story, my journey with God, and, and he, he set off. Uh, and he was very funny, and he, he had such a broad Irish accent, it took you the first ten minutes to sort of click in and understand where he was going. He kept talking about the par par. 
And you're thinking, purr, purr. What does purr, purr mean? Until he said, uh, what I should say is purr is power and purr is prayer. <laughs> and it's a purr, purr. <laughs> uh, which was just brilliant. Uh, and he was, he was such an engaging man. And then you suddenly realize that his life was getting more and more difficult. And he struggled with his kids. And he went through a difficult period uh, with his marriage. Uh, and then his, his business failed. Uh, and he was struggling to get out of that. And then just as he was beginning to come out of it, so uh, he was in his bathroom, I think he said, and he could see flames and smoke coming out of the garage. Uh, and he was a truck driver. He only had one truck left by this time. Uh, and his car was going up in smoke, and then the garage went up in smoke, and then the oil uh, tank burst, and then the lorry went up in smoke, and the house went up in smoke as well. Everything was gone. Uh, and he said, I, I turned to my family. As I want to read this bit. And he said, I cannot say what God is up to, but we will trust in what he is doing. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's putting the image of God in yourself. It's not you, it's... Uh, and this whole image thing was going round my head. And he said, and a couple of years later, we, you know, I'd started uh, doing some ministry from our home, and my wife was, was doing something else. Uh, and she'd had a time of prayer with uh, her friends. She was at a women's meeting. She came back. We were sitting in bed. We prayed together. Uh, and she sighed three times. And I looked at her, and I thought, you've gone. And she died. And we just thought, you know, all this room of men, it was complete silence. You think, this poor man. After going all through that, he's just about to get his life back again. After all this fire and all this, and now his wife's died. And he drew his, his children together uh, during the, the following week. And he said, I was in distress. He said, I turned to my children and said, I do not want my pain to shape the image of God, but for God to shape the image of my pain. And again, I thought remarkably, his understanding of the image of God might have been destroyed by all the pain and the suffering that he had been through, the unfairness of it all. But first he knew in his head, and then he learned again to believe that God was just the same. His circumstances had changed, but God was just the same. And to him, it was not an unknown God. This was the God inside his life. And it was the same in Athens. Paul was a game changer. Because he starts where they are with this statue to the unknown God. Something they all knew about, but probably never even, even noticed as they walked past their ignorance was exposed by showing them that they couldn't create their own God in their own image. And then they were introduced to the reality of God. And as you go through the verses, you'll see how he mentions it's the God of history, the God of reality, the God of personality, the God of relationship, the God of love. And so he layers on and layers on all these attributes of God. This is the hope of the nation because this is no stone statue. This is a loving, 
approachable God who could be known through relationship. This was a game changer for the people of Athens. So I wonder what our touch point is with the people that we're with. And I have many touch points with the people that I work with. Particularly because, of course, they, for better or worse, they do look for me now for a, a, a sort of compass point. As they've said, what does our moral compass say today? And it gives you an immediate opportunity. But that means that the image of God must always be alive in me, which is a bit of a challenge. But if we believe in God, and if we move amongst our friendship groups as Christians, you are the image of God wherever you go. And that is the challenge, to find that common touch point with the people that you're talking to. And as we relate to other people, we need to seek that common ground. And it might help, actually, to think about what is their religion, where instead they should meet the God of religion. We need to know whether we're hoping for reality or whether we have the reality of hope. And we need to know whether we let pain shape our image of God or whether we allow God to shape the image of our pain. These are game-changing moments that we will not know about, but are placed in the hearts of other people. These are the game-changing moments that we speak about on the train, at school, at the park, on Blackheath, when we're dog-walking, in the coffee shops, wherever we are, because we are the image of God wherever we stand. And how can we uh, introduce other people to the image of God that is within us. That's our challenge this week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have met us in your Son and you've brought us back. You've brought us back home that your image might be real in our hearts that you might be our hope for the future and our reassurance during the pain and the difficult times that we walk through now. So we ask that you'd be with us this week and that as we meet and walk and talk and be silent with others, that they may know that you are in us and ministering through us to them. We ask for your help, your blessing and your power to do just that. In your name we pray. Amen. What does it mean to be a game changer? How do we take that image of God that we know and that so many in our world don't know? How do we live that as a reality in our lives and how does that minister to other people? We're going to hear firsthand from Bethany who has been doing just that. She's been taking all that she knows of God and taking that to a place of pain and struggle. She's been working in Cali, and she's going to come and share a little bit about what's been going on. Thanks, Bethany.
As some of you may know, I recently returned from spending a month volunteering in the Calais jungle. The conditions people were living in were unacceptable, and despite the overall positive attitude of the refugees, many were suffering. I encountered a man who had only shorts and a t-shirt and was so cold his body temperature had dropped to 34 degrees. These people have lost everything, first when they are forced to flee their homes, then again on the journey, and once more when the frequent fires in the jungle burned down their shelters. I met another boy who was 16 years old and was entirely alone with no family. He had a broken arm and foot from jumping onto lorries trying to get to the UK and was begging me to take me with him. These are the lucky ones, though. Many do not make it this far. <clears throat> As you can see in the picture, they had built a church for themselves in the jungle. It was the first structure they built, even before their own shelters. This isn't the best picture as it was taken just before its demolition. But despite all the suffering and hardship these people were going through, every Sunday the church was overflowing with people singing and praising God. During the eviction of the camp, the unaccompanied miners were put into a container camp as the government had failed to find a solution for them in time. They were not provided for at all by the government and the res responsibility of feeding them three times a day and providing water as the running water in the camp had been switched off was left entirely to us. The hundred odd children who were left sleeping on the ground outside were unsupervised and volunteers had to take night shifts watching over the kids to ensure they were safe. The government in Calais is, well, was in Calais, was not really doing their part at all and the organisations working there were left with much of the responsibility to look after these people and make sure that they were safe. Now the jungle has closed, but the crisis is far from over. There are currently approximately 65,000 refugees in Greece, 40% of whom are children. I am returning to Calais this week to take with me donations to be sent to Greece, and then I plan to go to Greece and continue my work there. This has been referred to as the greatest humanitarian crisis of our time, and it is our Christian responsibility to do everything in our power to help. God's work is not always convenient. There are many ways you can help, either by donating clothes, shoes, and rucksacks, especially warm ones as winter is coming and many of these people have no warm clothes and are living in tents and shelters with no heating. If you have anything, you might have spare or want to donate if you can drop them at the church as soon as possible and I can collect them from here and take them with me. The charity I've been working with is called Help Refugees and it is a grassroots organisation so almost all of the manpower is provided by volunteers and not employees. This, so this means that almost all of the money donated goes directly to helping refugees. If you want to donate to the charity, you can go online to helprefugees.org.uk and donate there, or you can buy one of these T-shirts, which cost 20 quid, and you can buy them from the website. They come in black as well, and all the proceeds from the T-shirts go to helping refugees as well. If you can't afford to donate, you can always use your voice, spread the word, and rally support among your friends. We are not powerless... If you have any questions, feel free to find me afterwards.